Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. This is Dr. David Proden, and I want to thank you as we begin another journey into school and community safety. If you're looking for industrial safety expert Appalachian State University professor, Dr. Timothy Ludwig, please visit www.safety-doc.com. Again, that's Dr. Timothy Ludwig at www.safety-doc.com. Com. You don't need to buy a hot water heater because hot water does not need heating. Remember that? George Carlin. You know, I was at the Green Bay Packers Pro Shop in Lambeau Field when I learned of the passing of George Carlin. I remember I was shopping and there was a lady following me around, um, kind of this personal shopper type deal. And she's like, why don't you try this T-shirt on or this shirt or this shirt? I'm like, I'm not really interested, but I couldn't shake her um, no matter what. And uh, I don't think I bought, I think I had to buy a hat actually because I lost my Packers hat. Ironically, I left it on a boat in Duluth. Um, So I left it in Minnesota. So I can imagine somebody found it and probably tossed it into the harbor there, the Twin Ports Duluth Superior. But anyway... Um, yeah, it came up on the screen, the big screen, um, and I'm watching the news and it was like the passing of George Carlin. And I just remember, um, growing up in, in college, uh, I was a big George Carlin fan. So talking about legends, um, I had a legendary hot water heater or water heater. Okay. That, uh, failed, gave up the ghost on me. And I remember, when we got this thing 14 years ago, um, it was uh, a morning, got up for work and turned on the shower, you know, turned over to hot water, nothing, just ice, ice cold water, cold. It's like in middle winter here in Wisconsin. And uh, I'm like, this is bad. So um, got a hold of the heating and cooling people. And uh, they checked it out. They said, yeah, your water heater is like whatever years old and it's shot. So had to replace it at that time. And now, of course, 14 years later, I have to replace this one. And uh, the new one is much better. Um, they've, they've become super efficient. Like they had in, t- in two, 2010, apparently, uh, a law uh, making them more efficient. And then in 2015, so the, so they're shorter. It's 40 gallon. It's shorter and it's more stout. You know, it's so... Um, mostly insulation, but it, it's working great, so I'm happy. Started to fail. I could hear it running because my office, the studio right here on the other side of the wall is the furnace room and also the hot water heaters over there. So I could hear this hot water heater kicking in 10, 10, 30, 11 at night. And I'm like, everybody's already in bed. All the showers have been taken, so I don't know why this thing is continually firing up to heat the water. Like, how is it not staying warm or hot, you know, for 30 minutes. I just don't get it. Um, but yeah, it had been failing and I took a shower over the weekend and, um, all of a sudden water went cold pretty fast in the shower, mentioned it to my wife. And she's like, yep, that's been happening for a while. I'm like, Whoa. Okay. Key information. So got a hold of the guy, the plumber, who's done a lot of work for us this summer in our two bathroom remodels. Great guy said, can you set me up with a new, Hot water heater or water heater. Okay. He said, yeah. So came over, did it. Nice. Nice. So got that out of the way. It's one of those things like in the back of your mind, like, you know, it's going to fail and it's going to be that Friday night and you're not going to be able to get a hold of anybody until like a Monday and then they're going to have to order it and get it in stock. So glad that's out of the way. Just feeling really good. (laughs) Really, really good. It's kind of a weird thing with our house. Like our house was built in 1979 and we've done massive massive updates so if you look from the road like you could never tell um and i like the neighborhood because like 
it's that was when the neighborhood was built. So the homes are all different. It's not today where a subdivision goes up and all the homes look identical except they have different vinyl siding. So each home has its unique um, flavor. And that's, again, I really like that with our neighborhood. But they built this house with electric heat and electric appliances because electric was supposed to be cheap back then. And we also had a, we have a huge power plant a few miles out of town, big coal power plant. And I'm not sure if the thinking between that and the nuclear age, now we don't have a nuclear power plant nearby, but um, anyway, somebody got smart and in the 80s converted the house over to gas. So there's still some little goofy remnants of things you'll see on some weird venting things um, that we've kind of taken care of through renovations, so you, you can't tell. But when you're downstairs, the way that the piping and the venting and stuff works, you got to got to kind of watch your head at times and stuff like that. But uh, And there is no heat down here in the safety dock studio <laughs> because of the way that the house was, was built. Um, so right now it is a nice 67 degrees on the Camp North Star weather dial. So it is great. It's really, it's terrific. And it's going to be great down here all summer long. It, it'll stay this temperature. It doesn't get humid. Uh, but the problem is in winter, it'll drop, you know, drops into the mid 50s. But then what happens is the humidity has gone too in winter. So it feels really cold. Your skin gets really dry and I'm like, oh my goodness. Uh, but it's kind of a sweet zone right now. It doesn't really bother me too much. Um, so, hey, I want to give some shout outs. I haven't done this for a while. I haven't done this. And and there's great people who support this show, make this show possible. And um, we've had just a run of, again, tremendous guests. You as supporters of the show, as listeners of the show, getting on and sharing it on Twitter, on YouTube, on Instagram, wherever you share it. Five of the last six shows have been way over a thousand downloads and pretty fast. And that's tremendous. Looking at the Twitter impressions, looking at the blog impressions, um, it's it's po- it's getting popular, folks. And I can bring up the analytics, of course, to see where the show's being downloaded, um, both domestically and abroad. We're pretty big in France, um, and I I really appreciate it. So please continue to support the Safety Doc podcast. Um, I had on Larry Roberts um, of Readily Random, did an interview with Larry about his recently published book, One Plus One Equals Podcast. Um, Larry has much experience experience in podcasting and then also just in general voiceover um, audio media. I like the book. I did a review on Amazon. Kind of a strange thing, though. Amazon didn't publish my review. Put a lot of work into it. Actually, it was a verified purchase of the book. And I went through, put a lot of points together, and also points where I'm saying, you know, like, Larry maybe could have gone a little deeper here. I understand it's a book for beginners. Or, like, if he does a sequel, here would be great areas to bridge off of. Um, And Amazon, though, they, they didn't publish it, so it didn't go up. And uh, I was a little frustrated by that. So I got a hold of Amazon, which surprised me because I thought I would get, you know, the contact form and here, you know, whatever. But they actually, uh, they I, they called me. I, I think, I don't know, I filled out something and, and whatever. And I said, I did this review. It was very extensive. It's very professional. It's not showing up. And initially it kind of got the, well, you know, if it is a friend review, um, and again, he had been on my podcast and I think they go through social media and we've been on, on Twitter friends, although like, um, I've never met Larry in person. Um, so any, anyway, I wasn't mad. Okay. I wasn't, mad. <laughs> I wasn't mad. It's, it's like that, that uncle Leo thing on Seinfeld where they, where they, uh, you know, Leo's at the doctor and they're like, don't be angry, Leo, because like Elaine draws the, the eyebrows on him in mascara and, and, and they look like really mean or something like that. And, and I'm like, totally nice, like on Am- Amazon talking to these people. And they're like, oh, we're really sorry about this. And then they like kick me to a different department, not kick me. They kind of like smoothly transition me, Mr. Proden, we're going to take you over to whatever department. And then this person greets me by name and okay, we understand what's going. And finally I get to like a third department and um, they're like, yes, you know, we're going to put it live. It'll be live. And um, within an hour it was live. So 
I'm impressed. And my argument really to Amazon, and and if they would have said no, you know, that's kind of the end of it. And again, I wasn't mad. Um, my argument, though, was it's a quality review. And I believe you want quality reviews of, of products and services. And this reflects well on you, Amazon, and also reflects well on me as something of a professional review that I've done. And I think it's a, a win-win and plus, um, hopefully, it's going to continue. You know, it's going to spur some sales. Um, there were other reviews too, but you know, the, it would it would spur some sales and interest in the product, which was the book. Um, so, anyway, hey, what do you know? Um, more celebrity status than micro celebrity status. They probably like did a quick internet search, like, hey, this is the safety doc, and then they go off cam. You know, they they they, they cover up the phone. They're like, this is safety doc, bring in Pete. Bring in Sarah. We're not dealing with our average Joe here. Safety doc. Got a thousand downloads in the last five out of six episodes. Anyway, Aaron Clary of CaptainCapitalism.blogspot.com. Aaron Clary. You can find him on SoundCloud, the Clary podcast. Um, Aaron spent some time on the phone with me. I had a map of South Dakota up, planning out the family trip for South Dakota, and he's memorized South Dakota. I mean, he's memorized the whole U.S. He travels, hikes. Um, he's the the true reconnaissance man, and he uh, did a phenomenal job giving of his time and understanding. You know, I've got the the younger family. Well, you know, the the girls aren't that young, but. Um, it's kind of some things that they wanted to do, some things we wanted to do. He knows the area inside and out. He's like, do this, this, this. Here's some things you might want to clump together. Here's some things that are less familiar to people. So you're not going to be running into these big crowds, but they're really cool things. And here's going to be some cool scenic stuff. You know, put it together for what works for you. Um, but invaluable. And again, I mean, I have like the map up in front of me and he's like, you're going to see this and this little fork in the map and then this over here and, and take this and here's a good time of day and then here's a good time of day to come back and everything. And um, I think I, get, I took pages of notes, but Aaron Clary, captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. You can also find him on um, SoundCloud, the Clary podcast. Um, just thanks, Aaron. Just really thanks. A really classy thing to do. Um, to, again, he's, he's lived in Rapid City. He knows that area very well, um, to give some time to help me out because when you have friends like that, people that do that, again, I could go out there and I could take the vacation. Just like when we went to Orlando, we worked with somebody who, who had, you know, been to Disney 50 times and knew every, everything. So that was so terrific to have things planned out when we did that. And I've been out to South Dakota. I actually been out there, you know, like 20 years ago. I was out there in my, at the time, driving a 1996 Dodge Intrepid. And one of the reviews on the 1996 Dodge Intrepid was, and I'll never forget this, the review was, it has a very large spacious trunk, which comes in handy for when the vehicle breaks down and you need to sleep inside of it. So the... Um, Anyway, the Dodge, the Dodge Intrepid had tie rods and ball rod ends. So basically, they, it's like when you're, when you're steering your car, the rods connect to the, the front wheels and, and move the wheels so you can, can turn and stuff. And these tie rod ends would, would go out very quickly, like every 20,000, 30,000 miles. And then get, you could hear it, like you'd go over like railroad ties or stuff like that, and it, it would be real clunky. And the car... You could never get it aligned then after that. It kind of wave a little bit on the road. Just a pain. It's just a flaw in the vehicle, like the way they designed it. I liked a lot of things about the car. That I hated. So um, they had the the path around the, the Badlands. And back then, it wasn't paved. So it was basically washboard. <laughs> and I'm taking my car, I'm taking my 96 Dodge Intrepid on this, and and this thing is just this washboarding effect is just pounding on the tie rods. And as soon as I'm off of that, I can tell like the tie rods are going to have to be replaced again. And um, I know it wasn't easy, like the tie rods and the ends and stuff, because I took it to this um, this, this Chrysler dealership um, in, in a small town next to, to where I lived. And I watched the, the guys like take the stuff apart and they gave me a quote on it. 
and it took them a lot longer and and they were like we would have like charged you a lot more for this <laughs> um i'm like okay whatever so that vehicle i don't uh, i haven't had for years but yes my 1996 dodge intrepid did make it out to south dakota um I am kind of looking forward to like, what is it, 85 mile an hour speed limit? I don't know if they had speed limits back when I was out there. Like, I think some areas did, obviously, but I'm not, I think there were some areas that had the wide open unlimited, yet there were some, maybe. But um, but everyone was doing, you know, like 90, 95, like easily. So, um, yeah, heading out to South Dakota. Um, but another podcaster, TJ Martinell. He has a new podcast, the Mountain Pass Podcast. It's off to a great start. TJ Martinell, you can go to um, SoundCloud and, and again, type in uh, Mountain Pass Podcast and you'll find it. He lives in Leavenworth or right outside Leavenworth um, in Washington, state of Washington, and loves hiking, loves the outdoors. So you'll get a lot of that. He's also a journalist, has published um, books, including The Stringers. And you're going to get uh, so much of a perspective um, on rights and Tenth Amendment. And, and he's just a very interesting guy. I think he just turned 31. He's, he's celebrating his 31, 31st birthday. So, And a uh, recent podcast, he, was, he took a friend's dog on a hike with him. <laughs> and uh, just because he's thinking about maybe getting a dog. So this was kind of like the trial of that. And how the dog kind of pull him up the the mountain, even though like this guy's in in, in great shape. So he's he's giving the test here. Um, so yeah, TJ Martinell, check out the Mountain Pass podcast, the four hundred five media, the four hundred five media out of Los Angeles, California. The four hundred five media with John Grant of Los Angeles, California, has been airing the Safety Dog podcast since it started. I think I had what the seven nine p.m. slot PSD. I don't know. I was getting the late night crew. The late night crew was tuning in, but now P- 2 p.m. PST, actually followed by the Clary podcast, Aaron Clary, Monday through Saturday. And uh, it is a podcast radio station, so you, you get a, a terrific variety. Tune in. And uh, you have the ability to go asynchronous too. So if you like listen to my show, you like it, it or it goes longer than the time slot and you want to get the rest of it, go in and, and you can log in and, and click and, and play it in their player or download it, whatever you want to do. So it's really cool. Really cool. The405media.com. Um, check out Sprigio.com, S-P-R-I-G-E-O, Sprigio.com out of Santa Barbara. It's the nation's leader in online reporting for school safety, Sprigio.com. If you've got kids or, you know, your grandma and grandpa and you're wondering what your what your district is doing or what your school is doing to keep kids safe, hey, how are you reporting? Is it like tell an adult, which that's old-fashioned, you need to get online right now, uh, Sprigio.com company I've worked with with user interface making. Uh, I believe they have the best user interface and it's only getting better um, through student forum groups. I participated in a, another round of student forum groups of, of uh, reporting, uh, what are barriers to reporting, um, uh, things like that. So it, it, it's really working well, Sprigio.com. A shout out to Kat, K-A-T, at Paranormal Heart. You can find Paranormal Heart on Podbean. Cap, or Cap, Cap, Cat did a show. Uh, she interviewed Alfred Santariga in her episode six. And uh, it, it's a fascinating show. And he tells about um, a postman who encountered a demonic uh, cat, black cat. And then I think eventually it was a dog. Um, but the postman ended up um, being being threatened um, by you know voices. Whether it, 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 I, I'm not sure how this all worked. The story though was amazing. It's about 40 minutes long, and he, eventually the postman ended up dead. And um, but it, it, this this kind of whole paranormal mystery it, it's fascinating. So I'm not going to give away the ending because I, I, I can't articulate it that well anyway. But um, check out Paranormal Heart on Podbean there. It's, it's fascinating. It, it's really good. And guess what? I'm going to be the June guest. 
So I'm recording a show with Kat soon, and I'm going to talk about um, kind of a paranormal, um, existential, otherly world experience that I had in 2016 that I've never talked about before. Um, and it's, it's pretty amazing because the context of it, where it takes place is extremely steeped in very controversial history. So, um, that will be in June, but check out the paranormal heart, uh, podcast on pod bean awareness podcast. My good friend, Hector Solis, check out the awareness podcast.com. Um, you're going to get a lot of information about keeping youth safe, keeping people safe from uh, predators, online groomers, and the things that you're not going to get through uh, school presentations, stuff like that. Hector does a very professional show. Um, I think he's off right now for a little bit, taking um, taking a break, and then he's going to get back to his show. I could be I could be wrong on that, but um, he'll do he'll do you know maybe like six eight shows um, at a time. But I mean he'll do he'll record and then he'll he'll produce those and, and put a lot into them. And the awareness podcast is is outstanding. This is something that again I recommend strongly for parents or you know if if you have young kids even kids going off into college um, stuff that you want to know awareness podcast Hector so at least check it out awarenesspodcast.com again hey you are helping the safety doc podcast to crush it we are crushing it the fact I'm using Twitter and I am largely using safety PhD dot com. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have Facebook set up for the show right now and LinkedIn and Instagram and, and stuff like that, Snapchat, none of that going on. You are the ones that are helping to get this out. So we, the five out of the last six shows have been well over a thousand downloads and, and I've been getting emails. It's been great. Thank you for tuning in to the safety doc podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. Imagine that you're three minutes into your lunch and the fire alarm sounds, okay? At that point, um, this actually happened to me a few weeks ago at, at work, okay? Wisconsin School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Um, I had my two-way radio on and um, the fire alarm went off, okay? And it was a Friday, three minutes into lunch, and nobody runs a drill three minutes into lunch. And really nobody runs a drill on a Friday. And we have kids who fly out. They go home and, and they go by bus and everything. So on the surface, like I'm thinking, this is a mechanical failure somewhere in the the um, power shop, you know, that's in back of the building. Something got tripped or whatever. Uh, so I get on the radio and I'm like, okay, you know what's going on? And basically, it was a fire, okay? Uh, it was a dryer fire. There was a swim meet, a regional swim meet, so some other schools from other states had attended this, and they were drying towels in this industrial dryer. started on fire. So the fire alarm um, was sounded, and then the fire department arrives. And they initially come in with a ladder truck, and two pumpers and um, like an SUV. 
So pretty substantial. Now, some some of the kids can see. Um, other kids completely blind, but everybody can hear the sirens. And so you hear the sirens approaching and then, you know, pulling up around the school. And um, we get everybody out. Everybody gets evacuated. We do drills regularly. Uh, talk to kids about drills, too, if we have any questions. You know, if they have any questions, we, we address that. So really smooth, okay? Here's here's something. Like, you you would never do a drill during a lunch. Like, <laughs> it just never would happen in a school. I've been brought into numerous schools for safety consulting and asked to um, watch a drill, supervise a drill, and then give feedback, Dave. Um, but it's like, we're going to do the drill sixth hour, like 10 minutes in, because that's when we do our drills. Um, because we know everybody's going to be in the classroom and whatever. No one's going to try to pull something off during a lunch. Imagine like all the parents would be upset and the kids and stuff, but the kids, the kids got out of the building fast, got into a safe area. Staff got out. Fire department arrived quickly. Ladder truck, they raised the ladder on the ladder truck. And, uh, it's cause they need to get above the, the building to check if anything's coming out of the vent, you know, any sparks, any anything like that. And if, and then they call a second alarm, okay? So this is when I start to get a little more concerned. Um, a second alarm, basically, so they're bringing in more pumpers um, so they can pump more water if they need to. And I think, I think what was probably going on was twofold. One is... And first of all, it was a nice day. It was like 68 degrees and sunny. So for the kids to be outside wasn't that big of a thing um, and, and, and staff. But anyway, if you have some horizontal burning that's going on within the, the ceiling. Now, granted, the building was built in the 60s. So the likelihood of that is, is probably pretty low. But I think that's why you do the second alarm. And I again, you know, I have some firefighting background too. But um and the fact that the building had some smoke in it. It's a very large building, quarter mile long. It's kind of sectioned off. So they wanted to get the smoke out of the building as fast as they could. Unfortunately, the lunch area was above where this fire had started. So that area needed to be vented. Um, and the fire department did a phenomenal job getting that done. So here, here, uh, here's something. <laughs> so... I'm, I'm out with, with some of the staff, and I'm making my way around the whole building, checking everything out, too, in, in the complex. And, and one staff member comes up to me and says, can I go back into the building? I need to use the bathroom. I'm like, oh, like no. <laughs> no, it's not an option. We have an active fire situation, okay? Um, if you need to use a bathroom, there's, like, there's another school that's like a block away, literally a block. You walk down a sidewalk and there it is. Like, and you've got your name, badge, and identification. And and I'm sure they'll let you in if you say, by the way, like we're outside right now for a fire drill and not a fire drill, fire is happening in our school. Um, can I come in and use the bathroom? But um, I just thought that was a weird question. It's just like, no, no, <laughs> nope, nope. Um, so one of the cool things that the school did is a week later, and we and we do this on a regular basis after after drills. But this wasn't a drill; this was an authentic event. So, and, and by the way, everything really went well. People, this is the thing: situational awareness and and letting people know ahead of time. And and we've done this. We let staff and students know at the start of the year if something happens that's you know like if there was an authentic fire situation or intruder or whatever. Like we're you, you would respond through tacit knowledge. Or you're going to make decisions in the moment. And you're going to know what to do. Like, did everybody go out the exact exit that they probably should have? Maybe not because some kids were walking in between areas, but they got to an exit and got out. And within a minute, the building was clear. And, it, you know, it was an outstanding, um, outstanding evacuation, very efficient of the, of the building. Fire department did a phenomenal job. 90 minutes, building's clear, kids are back in. Um, and then they're getting ready to go home and, and stuff. But so we did, we got four focus groups together, four groups of kids and then asked them. So each group meets for 40 minutes with the principal and, and myself. And, and we have about, um, four to six students of different age, 12 years old, all the way up to like 20. And we're asking, so tell, tell us what you thought about the fire. You know, were you scared? Were you anxious? Did you know what to do? 
Um, did things go well? Did things not? You know, the open-ended question stuff that you throw out there because you want to be, you want to be divergent, right? You want them to tell you what they're they're thinking versus like if you say stuff like, "Hey, that really went well, didn't it? Right, right, right. It really went well. We did a great job on that drill, or not that drill, getting everybody out of the building, right, right." Well, you know, that's leading. That's you don't want to do that. So, um, it was fascinating though. Because what happened is every group, and I have this recorded so I can go through and and do transcription on this, but every group, every group said, we, you know, we do drills, so we we know what to do. We weren't concerned about that. Um, Once we were outside, and we knew like this was a little out of the ordinary, but maybe something just got, you know, alarm got pulled for some reason, but... Um, when we heard the fire engines or we saw the fire engines, we, we got, you know, we realized this was more serious. And then once about 20 minutes passed and no one was telling us what was going on, then we started to get either more anxious, nervous, maybe a little agitated. And then time went on and, and they weren't being told really what was going on. Um, so they said, you know, if someone just could have come through and said, listen, the, the dryer started on fire, it's out now, but the fire department needs to make sure that, you know, everything is is taken out that was was burnt and they need to get the, the smoke out of that area. And they're doing that right now. And then when it's clear, we'll all go back in, but everything's safe. Um, everyone, I think, would have been totally cool with that. Okay. So like no one got upset though. No one was like angry, but, um, but this, this, that type of thing though, of telling people ahead of time what might happen or when something does happen to do a debriefing of the knowledge that you have within about 15, 20 minutes is important. Like no matter what it is, whether it be this, um, I remember, uh, oh, it was Jacob Jakubowski. I did a show on that. He was, he sent a threatening manifesto to the president and then he was on the run for in the Midwest uh, for like six weeks or whatever. But I would read the the threads, like the article th- threads from forums and then Twitter and stuff like that. But mostly like, you know, articles written. And about one third of the people were angry because they're just like, no one's telling us anything. Like, we just want to know, like, where they think he might be, like, w- what we should be on the, l- the lookout for. He had dysarthric speech, okay? Um so a little bit of slurred speech. So maybe that could have been something that could have been shared. What was in the manifesto, some of these things. Um, but there just wasn't much journal. Even like, you know, where did he go to school? Like, what did some of the neighbors say? It was really closed down. Um, so people just were not sure. <laughs> and even um, they were, someone, you know, might see a vehicle that was near his house, like would drive by and then they were calling the police because they thought it was like this guy. But I don't know. It it just didn't make any sense. But that is something that is so important. And I I put that in all of my consulting is tell people right up front on day one, like if this happens, this is what to expect. And an example would be if there's an intruder situation, an active shooter situation, let's say that, um, the school's probably going to be a crime scene. You're not going to get to things for one to two days. So anything you have in your desk, you're in the parking lot, whatever, forget it, you know? Um, but once you tell people that ahead of time, they're like, okay, this is what we expect. So like the, the kids knew they, they drilled and all of that, but in this, what they were asking was very reasonable. They're just saying, you know, about 20 minutes in, because then we heard another group of fire trucks coming in. If somebody would have come through and just, we don't need every detail, but at that point you did, you know, as, as a collective, I mean, administration knew what was going on. If we could have just been told, um, we would appreciate that. I'm like, good point. Good point. So just passing that on. It's so important to do that. And I think it this even plays out into family situations and stuff like that, you know, like if if there's something going on in a family or somebody has uh illness or something like that, this whole thing of like not sharing the information or enough of the information, um I think it's important to share information with those that will be affected by things. You don't have to share everything, but just enough information, say like I'm going to share more. Um, at some point, but you know, just that you're giving some periodic updates. 
So um, I, I received two print versions of an article I wrote that was published in a professional journal. The article title is Your Best Defense. So I had asked the publisher to send me three copies. They sent me two um, print copies. And then they sent an, an article. In, in the article. They, they sent a letter. And the letter said, here are two print copies. Complimentary. Thanks for writing the article. Um, really looks great in the journal. It, and they said, you can buy additional copies for $15 a piece, which I thought, okay, you know, considering I wrote like this substantial article for free, um, and I don't really get a lot out of it on my end because it's not going to show up on the internet and it's, I can cite it like in my professional work, but it's not like anybody can really find it. It's not going to be out on the web. Um, but they did send me a PDF copy ahead of time when I, I emailed them and said like, I never got the print copies. So they sent me a PDF. And what I did is I sent the PDF along to the PR people down at UW-Madison because I graduated from UW-Madison. Go Badgers. All right. So um must have been a slow news day down there. So I sent the article in PDF, and I did put on every page, all of the four pages, the appropriate APA citation for the article. And typically, like with these journals, they don't have a problem if you distribute through an educational institution some copies. What UW-Madison did is they sent this out, and they put it up on their server, and they sent it out to all of their students and and faculty. So like 50,000 people, 50,000. Okay. So I get this, I get this letter that goes along with the two copies that I get. And it says, you know, we appreciate this. And, you know, Mr. Proden, I think it might've been Dr. Proden, but, um, and you can get additional, you know, issues at 15 and please do not email distribute this to more than 30 people. I'm like, Whoa, you were one day too late on that because 50,000 people did get it. <laughs> so, obviously, a journal I will not be writing for again. Um, but, yeah, so that's kind of funny. Hey, if you could limit this to, like, 30 people, that'd be great. I'm like, yeah, I uh, kind of got it out to, like, 50,000 people. So, they're like, yeah, yeah that, that was too many, too many. Um, so anyway, I attended a, a wedding. It was my wife's sister's daughter. So is that my niece-in-law? I've never been good at this stuff, you know, where you, once you get beyond grandma, grandpa, brother, sister, and all of that, like how, how those, the relations work, but you know, when marriages and stuff, I don't know. So, but anyway, um, we, we, my oldest daughter, uh, was a junior bridesmaid. My youngest daughter was a flower girl. And they had a blast, a good time. And it, it was it was a good, it was a scenic location and it was less than two hour drive away. So it was like, went well, fun couple, fun wedding. But you know, I, I'm just, I'm not like into these social events like that, these social gatherings. Cause I don't know these people. Like I, it's not my side of the family, even if it was like, I don't know my side of the family that well. Um, so I don't know if it's social anxiety or just like social disinterest. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't want to have this sense of hubris coming off here. Or anything. It's not like I sit there thinking like I'm better than everybody else because I, I, I don't believe that at all. And, uh, um, but it's, it's one of those things I'm just not real comfortable, you know? And, and of course, what does, what does the priest do or the guy that does the marrying? He's like, and make sure like your goal today, all of you around there is to go around and to meet like four people that you never know. I'm like, no, dude, 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 no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't put that on all of us. Um, so yeah, I mean, so it's, it's just awkward. I just, it's just not my thing. Now to balance that, I have no problem. I've never had a problem speaking in front of hundreds of people. You could put thousands of people. You could put me in an arena of 20,000 people, hand me a microphone and have me speak about safety or anything. I mean, and I'd be fine. Like if I had it prepared or if I didn't have it prepared, I mean, I'd be fine. (laughs) I wouldn't be nervous. I would just get into it. 
And I was on, you know, TV, you know, uh, national TV and stuff like that uh, with uh, the special I put together after Sandy Hook on school safety. Uh, put a lot of work into that. Obviously, that was well polished. But as far as like getting up in front of people and presenting on, on television, not a problem at all. Like I, no hesitation, no no perspiration, nothing with that. I've always felt confidence. And you know what? They say like a lot of people, 90% say it's one of their top fears, public speaking for me. No, never has been. So anyway, it's kind of weird because like these social situations, it doesn't jive for me the best. And my daughter, my other, my youngest daughter had her first communion the next day. So we kind of had the double event going on that weekend again, you know, and being in church, um, you know, and just around a lot of people, I'm not around a lot, but in all of that, I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so anyway, I went out and I ran that uh, night or two later and I felt bad like that. <laughs> I felt bad that I felt the way that I did. Like I wasn't more social and stuff like that. And, uh, I, it's, it's like, but it's just the way that I, I am now with that said, like, it's not like I went and sat in a corner or like just kind of, you know, isolated myself off from people, but it's, it's kind of like, I'm more into solitude and reflection <laughs> on stuff like that. Um, and, and just, and I'm, I'm, that's just me, you know, that, that's just kind of the, the safety dock on a lot of that. Um, and probably more analytical or just hanging out with a, with a couple people, not, not in the big, big group, social group type of thing. So felt bad, but at the same time, I'm old enough where I like, it wasn't intentional. Like it wasn't being mean or <laughs> anything like that. So it's not like I was beating myself up over it, but I'm just like, well, you know, I want to make sure, um, I'm having a good time and enjoying, you know, the time with the family and stuff like that. But I had a coworker, um, say this to me, coworker said, well, you know what? This is the last May in 2018. I'm like, okay, wait a second, wait a second. All right, you just said this is the last May in 2018. Exactly like how many Mays do we have in 2018? And if we're already to the last one, damn it. Damn it. I've missed the other Mays in 2018. Might have been the weather been a weird is second coldest April on record for our part of the state like ever. And, um, we had 80 degrees on the last day of, of April. Had it not been 80 that day, it had been like 70. It would have been the coldest April ever for our area, Southern Wisconsin. But anyway, the person said, uh, this is the last May of 2018. So talk about damn disheartening news. We're already to the last May of 2018. So you only have so many Mays to go around. And we're burning through the last one? Come on. Head scratcher there, right there. So I've had a flurry of um, expert witness um, requests lately. Like a, a, like just a storm of these things. Um, you know, and and all a range like from student um school shooting homicide not not parkland not um florida but even to like a, a crossing guard case which is pretty rare because like my area of expertise is pretty hard hitting and that's pretty well delineated um but anyway i had something interesting i turned down all of the cases because a lot of them they, well, I mean, these involve a lot of work. I mean, they can potentially go on. Like the the one I had done last year, I mean, um, didn't conclude until it was um, October 31st. Yeah, literally I got done minutes before Halloween started and I quick threw on my costume and got out with my daughter. It's like literally five minutes before. Um, but um, it was really strange. So I had been contacted by a legal firm um, representing a plaintiff who was the pa parent of a child who had been shot and killed in a school. And they were claiming that the school relations officer, the SRO, did not perform his duties in keeping the school safe. So the so basically how this happens is 
you get approached and and they kind of give you a lowdown on a case, very short. Like here's here's a paragraph, and do you have an interest? If so, do you have a conflict with any of these parties involved? So you have to go through and read the names, and and usually it's always a no because I don't do anything in Wisconsin, in my home state, because I know too many people here, and I just it's much easier to work out of state. I just have found that to be the case. So. Um, I'm some said, no, I don't have any conflict. Um, and then they said, okay, we're going to give you more details then, which is standard. And then will you opine, O-P-I-N-E, opine on this? Basically give us your impression of here's the argument that the plaintiff has put forward. Here's, here's the suit. What's your thoughts on this? It, it was basically questioning whether the SRO responded appropriately um, how the SRO is notified when there's a shooting, if the SRO should have should have responded more effectively and stuff like that. And I said, well, first of all, like I don't, I mean, literally like you go through the one case was 17,000 pages. I mean, here you're going through just a few documents. And um, and I said, I don't, I don't like the way this argument's structured. Like, I don't, I don't think this is a good case. I, I first of all, if there's gunshots inside of a building, it's, those aren't easy to detect where they're at. So depending upon where the SRO is, and you know the SRO is going to be in different locations throughout the building during the day, um, they're going to, the SRO is going to have a hard time immediately trying to, to track this stuff down. And then they're saying, well, how about you know the entrances and stuff like that? And I don't know how many entrances are where. Like, should the SRO have been at this entrance? I'm like, well, you know, that's again, that's priorities. You have to, you'd actually have to study what your main entrances are. And you, again, as high school, you're probably going to have your SRO close to the entrance, your main entrance. But if you have 12 entrances in a school and someone came in a different entrance, then you should have had surveillance at that entrance that maybe is in the SRO's office. The SRO could see or the people in the office. Anyway, so I'm laying this stuff out for him. I said, you know, I just, I just, I, I think this is really poorly laid out <laughs> the way that you did this. Here's how I would do it. Um, if I were you, I would reconsider the claim. And uh, they said, nope, no thank you, goodbye. <laughs> so I, uh, I I did not get that case, um, which is fine because like there's a, there's a lot of work with it and um, there are, it, that's, that's a continuous river. They just keep coming. Um, but no, it's one of those, I, we talked about member checks in the last podcast. Um, well, not the last one, Larry, but the one before we talked about mantras, which did great, by the way. Thank you so much for, you know, well over a thousand downloads quickly on that one. Um, but you got to be true. You got to, if you're doing what I'm doing, you got to be true with these people. Like, hey, this is, this. I don't think this is a good case. And I'm not, I'm, if, if you're going to do it this way, I'm not going to be able to help you out. And, you know, either they'll find someone who's going to help the way that they have it structured or they'll, they'll reconsider and change it to the way that you're suggesting. And in this case is like, Nope, <laughs> you know, have a good one. Um, so I just thought that was kind of funny because usually that's not the way it happens. Usually, um, they'll, they'll listen to what I have to, to say. And I, I usually don't have to say much at all on the argument and they're like, you know, please, you know, come in and, and work on it. But anyway, um, my my daughter, my oldest daughter, has a new box spring and mattress um, that is supposed to be going with her new Amish bedroom set built by our good friend Levi. We have an Amish community about 15 miles from us. Levi has done furniture for us in the past. Stuff's phenomenal. Takes him like three to four months to build. He's like a one-man show. He's got like a shop next to his farm and stuff like that. But the stuff he's built is phenomenal. It's like heirloom furniture. You know, we've had the stuff like 15 years some of the earlier stuff. So going to meet with Levi and um, do kind of, you know, like a basic, you know, oak really well though. I mean, this you can't buy this stuff anywhere. So he'll build this. And uh, it's is like a three, three month deal. So we went out there to the three month mark and um I go to his shop, which is, there's no power, you know, it's just like, it's just like not, I guess, solar lights, like solar panel, not solar panel, translucent panels in the roof. Go into his shop and like, he's not there. In front of his shop though, he has two deer skins that he must have just like 
like put out there because they were still <laughs> fresh <laughs> and he has them spread out. So he's tanning these hides like right in front of his door <laughs> to go into his shop. I go into his shop and like he's not there and everything is, I mean, like I could have put anything I wanted in the car and drove away with it. Of course, which I wouldn't, but, um, and I'm yelling, Levi, I'm doing like the Marco Polo, Marco Polo, Marco Polo, Levi, David, Levi, he's not there. So I'm wait. I'm like, well, the guy's gonna be around somewhere. So like, I'm kind of walking around outside. I'm walking around inside, yelling. And finally, like, he he comes over. Hey, how's it going? I'm like, yeah, good, good, good. Um, how's the bedroom set? Uh, be a week yet? Be a week? Be a week? I haven't done it in a week. So it's like four weeks ago. So I'm like, Levi, my daughter. Um, she's pretty patient right now, but uh, we we got to get this bedroom set. And then he'll have somebody bring it over and he'll actually set it up, which is really cool um, too. that, you know, that, that he's got someone, you know, the covered trailer and, and they get it over here. So excited about it, really excited about it because that that's furniture that's probably going to stay here after she's gone. Unless after she gets married, you know, we would let that go with her, but that's not like college furniture and that's not like apartment furniture either. So um, it, it's pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. So I have the new Samsung S9 phone right here for those of you watching the old safety doc on the YouTubes right here. So, um, it's a nice phone. Okay. I upgraded it from my S7 and the big reason was I went to the better camera or allegedly better camera because we found most of our pictures were being taken by camera. By, by like the phone camera, not the traditional camera. And we hadn't updated the point and shoot for like eight years. And I wasn't going to invest a whole lot of money in a point and shoot when basically like we're not, as long as we get a pretty good picture, like we're pretty happy with that. I'm not like this person that takes a whole bunch of photography that then, you know, I have posters made out of and stuff like that. I mean, I've, I've know a lot of people do this. It's not me. Um, and like my, my entire, like I bet you from age whatever to age 18, there's probably like 40 pictures total of me and my, my wife, they had a fire like at her house and she probably has like 15 pictures. So, and in the old days they didn't take a lot of pictures and I don't know how many pictures do you really need? Like it's the whole thing too. Like, you know, when you're at somewhere, get a couple pictures for context or a couple pictures and it's like, we're good versus like just living that whole thing behind the screen. You know, these people that take way, way, way too many pictures. So the thing, the thing with the F, the the S nine is like I hated it the first day I got it, and I had a lot of the settings wrong, buttons were hard to press, and it is quite a bit different than my S seven, and it has this infinity screen, which was you know oh it goes all the way around like if you hold it up it looks I don't care I really don't care I don't care if there's a half inch black all the way around it doesn't matter to me, and then it had also this make your own um, emoji feature where you can do the selfie and it makes an emoji of you I'm like. I did it, didn't look like me, and I'm like, I don't care. But, you know, I understand you have to market this to a wide audience. But um, so, like, the first day, I'm like, this camera, oh, I hate it. Like, And then, then um, the camera's a lot different, okay, and the auto function is really freaky on it. So I had to get used to that. I did the mistake because I went to the wedding I talked about, and I went to the first communion just a couple days after I got the camera. So this is what I had. So a lot of those pictures didn't turn out the best because I had it on auto and it was, it was doing some really freaky things. It's like, I'm, we'll take a picture and it's going to be like 14 pixels wide and you know, 195 pixels tall. It's going to look really cool, but I don't know how in the world you'll develop it. Um, has this feature on it though, where I was able to capture a snowfall, these big flakes and it does a super slow-mo so I, I was, I, I filmed this and oh my God, this is just like super beautiful. Like the way it does this. So some of those little things like once in a while you might use for something like I could see it. Like I love going, um, uh, go-karting like up in Door County, Wisconsin. And we'll have a chance to do that later this summer. And I could see like recording me on the go-kart in a super slow-mo and like maybe cutting that in as the intro of one of the safety docs or just something, a presentation I did or something. I don't know. Um, but actually I really like the phone. Now I had to go back to the place where I got it a day later and say like, 
there's a lot of things on here I'm not so sure about. And the lady looked at it and she's like, is there a reason you want this set? Like it really, really difficult to press the buttons and, and this and this and this. I'm like, no, 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 no. And then she tweaks it a little bit. And now it's it's great. And it, it, it's like stays charged forever. Really, really nice. So I'm up to the S9. And I got it too. The S7 was working, but you know we're doing the South Dakota vacation. So I wanted to have um, a good, uh, the better quality picture you know that i could take and then kind of leave the other camera at home the point and shoot and just use this one actually i've got a little tripod that hooks onto this too like it it grasp it and um works really well and i can actually hook it up to my regular tripod but again you know we're not going to get a whole bunch of pictures so <laughs> um yeah. So to close this out, I am observing right now a really unsettling trend in expert witness work and just in some litigation and some practices that are happening in schools and then also in corporations. Um, this is very, very sudden. So probably within the last one, two, three weeks. And the, here's the trend. So it, it can be an administrator or it could be an employee and they are being put on leave because they've contributed allegedly. So HR, human resources, approaches them and, and says, you're on leave uh, effective immediately because uh, we are doing uh, investigation because you have allegedly contributed to a hostile work environment. And this could be from anything. I mean, it could be from not... Um, uh, you know, rolling your eyes at a safe space room to to whatever, to something to have to do with politics. I think politics plays a lot in this right now. And that's where a lot of these things are coming out of. Um, but, you know, 10 years ago, it was something, you know, you're, you're on leave because we're checking for embezzlement or something like that. I'd be like, whoa, you know, but um, here's what's happening, though. They're taking these people out of the blue and and for these types of, of allegations and then there's they're separating them immediately from their email and from all their, their electronic documents to the workplace they're checking them before they leave make sure they don't have any copies of anything on them um, and these aren't spies and stuff like that but here's the problem though the core problem with this that the documentation is you need documentation to prove that you've fulfilled your job ob obligations, okay, that you've met your standard of care. So, or else, you know, you followed up on something with an email if you're an administrator or, you know, what you've done for professional development in a certain area or that you've reached out to an external organization or whatever it could be. And all of these things are suddenly gone. They're gone, okay? because you don't have access to them. So they're in the hands of HR and and then the technology people in the district. And so I got a hold of my connections through the you know different government connections and, and private lawyers and, and all of that, and just saying, what's going on? And these are people like all over the country. What's going on right now? And they said, yeah, th this is this is happening. And, uh, and, then, and they don't have an answer for it. And we're talking people who have published, people who are, I mean, huge, huge in in cybersecurity. And I've gone now um, to yet another person um, who's even deeper into this, who's who's going to try to give me some insight because I said, the thing is, I'm going to see this in expert witness cases. If you are a parent and you're suing a district, okay, you know, um, you have all the documentation typically that you've emailed to the district, certified letters. So even if the district says, we don't have this or we can't disclose this or whatever, or their communication between each other, you're not going to get that, but you're going to have a lot of documentation that you've sent and provided the district. You have that. But these district people, for example, the school people, if they have sent these emails to each other or, you know, those, they've, they've produced memos, documents, those can all be gone. Like you don't have access to those, so it's 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 nervous because um, you can be separated from employment pretty fast, and you don't know if HR is going. I wouldn't trust HR. I'll be completely honest, and I'm going to talk about that with a couple lawyers um, on the show, um, and also um, legally, you know, what would be kept um, if there would be anything called out of emails. I don't, I don't trust that. So 
it's a real vulnerable time for people. And, and some of the answers that I'm getting from my connections, um, and again, these are top-notch people who work in security, very, very high levels. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.